quantum like informatics? Or do you mind explaining that down in layman terms? Yeah, sure. I, I'll definitely try my best, but I'll, I'll butcher. The idea is to take advantage of the properties of quantum systems to help perform computations. Yeah. What are your thoughts about Neil deGrasse Tyson? Give an absolute banger. In a more general or holistic setting, like where does that provide value? Exactly. So that's also another thing. Like when will quantum computers actually become cost efficient enough? For me, it's just sort of exciting that it's sort of uncertain. Uh, you know, there is a potential there to make an impact. Thank you so <laughs> much for taking me back to class, man. Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Sip and Soju Podcast, episode 15. We're here with a very special guest, my great friend, Mr. Richard slash Rich Lee. Hey, everyone. Uh, hi, Max. I'm really excited and honored to be on the podcast. Uh, and yeah, great to see everyone today. Can you really see them, though? Yeah, that's true. I can feel I can feel their presence. You're millions of fans. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's it's actually just me and my nine bot accounts, but um <laughs> but, but shout out to all of them for you know getting the views up. <laughs> but awesome, bro. I know it's been like such a long time since since I've graduated, and now you're currently at the stage of your life where you're almost about to graduate undergrad. If we can start there, like what types of emotions are you feeling and overall how has been your undergraduate journey? Sure. I think the first adjective that comes to mind is grateful. Uh, I'm definitely very grateful for my family and friends who've been there um, through the ups and downs, especially with the pandemic uh, cutting through my sophomore and junior years, essentially. Uh, and a big part of that was spent in uh, Southern California with some family friends. And that was also uh, a very definitive experience for me. And I had a great time there too. Um, but looking ahead to the future, I'm definitely a little nervous about what's what's to come, but also excited to move to the next stage of my life uh, and to see where the journey will take me. That's awesome, bro. And this is right before we actually started recording as well, but it's kind of crazy. We were just reminiscing off of, you know, our experiences during undergrad and how, you know, I'm I'm old as fuck now. And, and you're at that age where you're like, the wise sage of the undergraduate class. So kind of crazy how fast time flies sometimes, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like the, the time flows even quicker um, nowadays than what it did just one or two years ago. Yeah. Completely agree with that. You brought up a very interesting experience and I'd like to segue there. Like during the pandemic, you mentioned um, you were in Southern California. I guess like you mentioned that was a pivotal experience in your life. Curious what you meant by that, if you could elaborate a little more about how your time was there. Sure. Uh, I think that um, the pandemic made you realize that, uh, you know, we've always taken our experiences sort of for granted where we go through the motions of day-to-day uh, -day life sort of without thinking about um, what's to come in sort of a broader sense with and I guess not really with that much intent a lot of the times. And sort of being in California made me reflect a lot, uh, especially being physically away from school and what would be the daily routine uh, about sort of where I want to do, where I want to go for the next phase of my life after school. Um, and so that's one thing sort of made me take a step back and realize uh, I hadn't really thought that clearly uh, about my future goals at that point in my life. 
And secondly, it made me appreciate, uh, I guess, uh, how warm and welcoming my family friends are. And I really enjoyed hanging out with my three God brothers there. And uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was really a, re a really great time. And they're really um, generous to host me there because I couldn't go home for that period of time. Uh, so yeah, I think overall it made me sort of take a step back uh, on the day-to-day -day routine. And it also made me just appreciate uh, the people around me. Thanks for sharing that, Rich. I sympathize with like, number one, not being able to see your family during one of the toughest times in the in the US and the world. And to couple that with, you know, having to not only adapt to a new routine, but also, you know, that was really nice that you had, you said you had your, your God family that provide you with housing and like was able to take care of you and stuff like that. And that's all, that's, that's really, that's really awesome. But I can understand like that would still be a challenge in itself, you know, just completely different from your normal, I guess, probably what you're normally used to. Right. Yeah. That's definitely also a great point. I think, uh, you know, I was sort of used to slacking off just by myself a lot of the, a lot of the time. So uh, it was great to also be in an environment and to, to realize that, you know, sometimes you can't sleep in that late and <laughs> sometimes you gotta, gotta get up in the morning and do stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for sure, bro. And for, I guess like for all the viewers out there, all the potential viewers out there, don't assume, um, who are watching this, um, and who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, do you mind like getting a little bit more in the detail as to like where you're from, where you grew up and, um, where you're at now? Of course. So everyone, hi everyone. My name is Richard. Uh, I grew up in Beijing. I was actually born in Boston, but my family moved to China when I was one and a half years old. Um, and I grew up in the Chaoyang district of Beijing, for anyone who's familiar. I uh, have a really strong uh, memory of that area, and I consider it my home, uh, even to this day. Uh, and I went to international school in Beijing for uh, elementary and middle school, and I had a really great time there, too. And that's where I also got to learn English. Um, for high school, I went to boarding school, school in New Hampshire. And at the same time, my family moved to Shanghai uh, in China. Uh, and after high school, I went to, uh, I'm currently at Yale and that's where I met Max. Uh, I'm two years uh, younger than Max. And currently I'm a senior in Poly Murray College uh, living off campus. And uh, I intend to go to uh, physics graduate school. And I'm currently implying it this fall. And we'll see where that takes me. Good luck, man. Physics is hard enough by itself. And th that's awesome that you're applying to graduate school and you're pursuing that path. I, I can imagine not many people would be bold enough to, to embark on a journey like that. No, I, I definitely appreciate those words. And I definitely think it's definitely a, a tough field and I have a lot to learn, but it's definitely exciting to, uh, to do something that I've always, I've sort of had in the back of my mind. And it's also a nice full circle moment to uh, start off thinking about majoring in physics and end up uh, potentially pursuing a career in, in physics. So yeah, I appreciate it. For sure, bro. Are you interested in astrophysics by any chance, or is that, or is that not the, the the sole discipline of interest? I I'm definitely interested in that area, but unfortunately, my knowledge in the area is lacking. 
So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know much about astrophysics, but uh, that's something that, you know, is very interesting to me, too. Yeah. What are your thoughts about Neil deGrasse Tyson? Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, I think he's a, he's a great public communicator, great uh, uh, publicitor of science. And, uh, yeah, I think he, he's done a good job sort of making science more accessible. Hey, respect. I think the guy's hilarious. <laughs> Honestly, he's yeah. uh, the way he explains things. He, he makes the most like complicated and complex topics just like so understandable. And you can see that you can hear the passion in his voice. You know, it's like kind of motivating. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's a very he has like this calming cadence to it. And I don't know if you've seen that Kia and Peel sketch, uh, of, which is a parody of how Neil deGrasse Tyson explains things but in the context of explaining things to his girlfriend i think that was a really spot on uh sort of both making fun but also uh sort of complimenting neil degrasse tyson at the same time yeah i thought that was a great great sketch yeah i'll have to look into that man i yeah. i that, that's that's not on my radar but that sounds hilarious <laughs> yeah <laughs> i knew you were interested in physics but i didn't I wasn't necessarily sure like where this passion was coming from. I guess, do you mind um, sharing, unfolding another layer of the onion and giving a little more insight as to like why you became interested in physics? Sure thing. Uh, so I would say a natural beginning to this story would be high school where I had a really good physics teacher. And this is sort of a common theme for a lot of kids who have a good teacher in high school or earlier on who sort of they looked up to as somewhat of a role model. And uh, this teacher was also a uh, soccer coach of mine. So that I really, you know, I really looked up to him in, in a certain uh, role model uh, sort of position at school. Uh, and, you know, I took this class, I really enjoyed it. And at the same time, I had a math teacher at school who was also very, uh, very great and kind and he also studied physics in college. And, you know, it was great to have these two figures in my life who uh, sort of had a unifying theme of physics, uh, you know, sort of from a different perspective, one from a more pure physics background, one from more of a math background. And it was great to see that, you know, it was definitely something that you could study in college. So at that point, I sort of had this vague idea that I wanted to do physics in college, but I didn't really have an idea of where it would take me in the future. And nor did I think it really long term about whether I wanted to be uh, sort of uh, a professor, stay in academia, or even in general to pursue a career in physics. Um, and this, the next part sort of starts in college where I took uh, an introductory physics course, which is required for all the physics majors. And the particular version of the course I took was taught by Professor Gervin, who is uh, at that point I did not realize, but is one of the pioneers of the sort of budding field of quantum information science, which is something that I'd like to go into. Um, so that was sort of a really serendipitous encounter with with this subfield of physics that I would eventually uh, be, you know, be attract, be really uh, enthusiastic and and excited about. Uh, so. It was sort of that was my first experience into the subfield, sort of taking that class and learning some of the basics. 
And so I, I asked him if I could, you know, have any opportunities to learn more about this uh, over my, the summer after my freshman year. Uh, and he offered me sort of a position in his lab and uh, I sort of learned some, uh, I learned some basic things about the field. And I also, you know, really enjoyed that experience. Uh, but it always, it always sort of uh, was in the back of my mind that I'm, I wasn't sure whether or not I wanted to be in academia. And sort of sophomore fall, I sort of had a, you know, I sort of had a, a hard time thinking about what classes should I take uh, in that semester and the next to sort of uh, orient myself for the future. I didn't really know whether I, I was sort of interested in physics just as a pure uh, intellectual interest or whether as a serious uh, career option. Um, so really up until sophomore year and so your senior year, I was really not sure. And I think it really took the pandemic for me to take a gap semester and sort of figure out uh, that I really wanted to pursue a career in this field. So during, I took the spring of 2021 off and uh, I had the chance to sort of do some self-learning a lot of uh, playing around with code, doing a lot of open source challenges, and also doing research on the side. And that's when I realized that I think this is something that is very exciting to, to go into, especially since it's a really emerging and uh, uncertain, exciting field. Um, so that sort of leads to this point where I still am really trying to figure out what to do for the next phase of my life, but at least uh, I'm more certain that I want to take a gamble and uh, and and see where this this uh, interest in quantum information science and quantum computing takes me. That's so cool, Rich. And like, I completely agree. Like having those mentors at a younger age, like in high school, when you had the dual influence of not only your soccer coach and also like your physics teacher and your math professor as, as well, who is also like passionate about physics and like having them instill that passion into you. I feel like that's so invaluable at a young age because um, like, honestly, the best teachers oftentimes can influence us more than the subject itself, you know? But um, I think that's really mature of you to take a gap semester and to really use that time during the pandemic to dive more into your own interests and very curious. Like I personally have no idea what quantum like informatics or information like science even means like do you mind explain that down for in layman terms <laughs> yeah sure I, i'll definitely try my best but I'll, I'll butcher for sure uh but the idea is to take advantage of the properties of quantum systems to help perform computations and the two properties of quantum systems that most classical or date daily the system, the physical systems that you see on a daily basis don't possess are what's called superposition and entanglement. So roughly speaking, superposition is the idea that a quantum state can, roughly speaking, be in a mixture of many different states at the same time. And that would be like saying a coin is both part heads and part tails whereas a regular coin could only be heads or tails. And this sort of idea of superposition can allow you to uh, perform certain problems faster because 
instead of saying inputting just heads or tails into your problem, you can sort of input both at the same time and therefore sort of make a parallel computation. Of course, there are caveats with that analogy, but that's sort of the first uh, analogy that a lot of people make. And the second idea, which is entanglement, is the idea that many physical systems cannot be described by just the product of their individual components. They have to be described as a whole. And this idea is not really a classical, doesn't really appear in a classical system. For example, if I have two coins, I could always describe the state of those two coins by specifying the state of one of each coin individually. However, for quantum systems, sometimes you can only describe the state of the whole system and not, not just saying what is the state of one times the state of two. You have to sort of describe the whole thing. And this sort of idea is why it's called entangled. The state of the two particles are sort of jumbled up. You cannot untangle the state of those two particles. And the reason why this is so powerful is because by entangling different particles, you can sort of perform conditional operations. For example, if the state of one quantum bit, which is the analog of a classical bit, in quantum computing is in a, either a zero or one, this will lead you to perform an operation that is different. And therefore you sort of can encapsulate this conditional computation in, in a very smart way. That's also uh, sort of the rough analogy that a lot of people give first time around. Thank you for, yeah. thank you for explaining that to me, man. Like that, that helps a lot. There's still so much more room for, in order for me to, to understand this on another level, give me a second. I need to get more wine. This yeah, for is... sure. <laughs> you, you know, Rich, I was not expecting to go back to school today. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very curious. So you mentioned superposition and entangle entanglement, or just entangle yes. entanglement entanglement. So the way you explain each of those two individual, I guess, properties, those were explained very well in a more general or holistic setting, like how, why, why do we care about those things? And like, and like, in like real life, like where, do, where does that, where does that provide value? Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the golden question. And uh, the short answer is we're not entirely sure. That is the short answer. The long answer is that there are certain problems which quantum computers have been proved to solve much more efficiently than classical computers. For example, the problem of factoring numbers, which sort of underlies internet security these days, can be solved efficiently on a quantum computer. So in this sense, it's sort of a, this is sort of a negative result because it sort of says that a quantum computer can sort of break the security of a classical of, 100%. of our system these days but actually it's sort of the flip side of the of the equation is sort of saying that quantum algorithms sort of inspire more robust classical algorithms and classical cryptographic protocols so for example today a lot of companies are preparing for the future uh, for with algorithms that are robust against quantum uh against quantum cryptography so it will make our uh, encryption system stronger in the long run. But that's sort of, you know, that's not really that convincing of a reason why we need quantum computers. The more convincing reason uh, are really 
there are several uh, categories. One category is sort of uh, optimization problems, which can be found in almost anything that you speak of. For example, when you want to find the, when you want to simulate, let's say a, a chemical system, you sort of want to find the ground state energy of a, a system of molecules. And how do you find the ground state? You usually have to uh, optimize and find the state that gives the minimum energy. So this is sort of a optimization problem because you have to search over all the possible states of the system. And to do that is very time consuming and expensive on a regular computer. However, it's been shown that, or it's at least it's very strongly believed that quantum computers can offer a speed up on these types of problems. However, it must be, you must be careful because a lot of these computational speed ups are really the subject of research these days. So some problems such as factoring have been proven to be faster than classical computers. However, other problems are believed to be faster, but no one actually knows for sure because there is no mathematical uh, proof. There is no 100% certainty. There's sort of like a general, there are mathematical reasons to believe that it's faster, but it hasn't been proven definitively. So the applications that quantum computer is believed to help with include uh, drug discovery, because you could simulate molecular systems and test drug candidates on a much faster and less expensive scale. It includes, say, financial optimization when you're trying to find these asset of stocks or uh, the bundle of uh, bonds and assets that you want to keep for yourself to optimize your profit. Uh, it might also include, uh, it might also benefit simulating uh, quantum systems because right now to simulate quantum systems, we're using a classical computer and you're sort of, it's sort of inefficient to do that. Whereas if you use a quantum system, to simulate a quantum system, that is far more efficient. So a quantum system could be something like we just described, which is you know mo molecules, but it also could be something like uh, a system of electrons interacting with each other, or a systems of bosons interacting with each other, aka you know particles of light like photons. Anyways, uh, sort of quantum computing has really the potential to uh, change fundamentally how our society can solve problems, but with the caveat that a lot of the problems these days have not been shown to be definitively solved faster by a quantum computer than a classical computer. And furthermore, the quantum computers that people have these days are very noisy, meaning that they're very bad. The error rates of the quantum bits are very high. So okay. let's say you sort of disturb the system a little bit, it's very, the quantum bit is very sensitive to noise. Whereas a classical computer, say when you, even when you drop your computer, you're not really worried about say your movie or the files in your computer getting corrupted. Your class, your regular laptop is so robust to different types of noise and environmental uh, sort of perturbations. So anyways, that's, that's sort of the, the, the short answer is that quantum computer could sort of revolutionize a lot of computational problems, uh, the most prominent, including optimization, uh, simulating natural systems, and factoring with a few others.
but it's still at its very early stages and it's not entirely uh, certain whether or not it will catch on in the future. Professor Rich, th thank you so <laughs> much for taking me back to class, man. That was actually, I I'm not going to take another shot of wine. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This is the first podcast where there's a part of me that feels like something's lacking. Something didn't, didn't catch up, but um, that's actually really, really cool. I knew absolutely nothing about not only the field, but also like what the intended purpose of that field was and like what the applications were prior to 30 minutes ago. So this is actually like really cool, a really cool learning experience for me. Um, I'm wondering, like, since you said quantum computing helps with optimization and helps with identifying solutions to problems, is this like a field that people are trying to look more into just because, you know, crypto is something that's been obviously a lot more, you know, exciting as of recent. And I can imagine in the next decade or so, it may even take over as, you know, another valuable and, you know, secure form of currency. And like, I know a lot of people do mining for like Bitcoin and stuff like that. I'm wondering, does this type of computing system help with, you know, algorithms related to stuff like that as well? Yeah. Uh, so I'll begin by saying that I, I have absolutely no knowledge about cryptocurrency, blockchains, and all that related good stuff. So I really have no authority to comment here. But I will say that, uh, you know, I don't think people have a clear understanding of how quantum computers will benefit sort of uh, that area in the future. But I could definitely see how quantum computers could potentially offer an advantage for, let's say, Bitcoin mining. But I have not, I don't have enough knowledge to explain why that is the case or, you know, how that could be the case. I sort of have this general sense that it could, but I, yeah, I just don't know enough, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Gotcha. Hey, yeah. respect yeah. for you for, you know, for telling the truth. Um, if, if you said, yeah, absolutely. And like, gave me a, like some reason I would have believed you on the spot, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but dude, going back off of that, I'm very curious in terms of like, so one area that you mentioned, that's obviously like very important in order to expand the research and expand the field itself is, is it efficient enough and like how to measure it against a regular computing system? And like, does it actually provide more value? Or is that in terms of like energy, in terms of wattage, in terms of processing time, stuff like that, right? Sure. Yeah. I would say the the first measure that most people will consider is time complexity. So how does the uh, time it takes to solve the problem scale with, uh, with the size of the problem? So for example, if I have a phone book and I have, I have a list of you know, my friends who I want to ring up, but I don't know what their numbers are. And I, let's say I want to call Max and uh, I want to go through my phone book to look for your name. If the phone book were sorted, uh, so I could look up, you know, the part of my phone book that starts with the letter M. But how do I know that, you know, how do I know where the section starting with M is? The most naive way of doing it would be to say, go to the first page of the book. Is that book start? Is that page the list of names starting with M? Most likely not. Then I go to the second page, and so on. So that's you know, and I I do this until I get to the section of the book starting with M. 
So as you can imagine, this algorithm is very inefficient, but it offers a, you know, a first step in sort of, so it offers us a chance to see how this, the complexity of this problem of, of this algorithm scales with the size of the phone book. If the size of the phone book were double the size, then it would on average take me double the amount of time to get to the letter M. So this time complexity is sort of linear in the problem because it grows linearly in the size of the problem. So there are better algorithms that exist that sort of scale less than linearly. So for example, if I were to, instead of flipping through the start of the book and then go, go into the second page of the book and so on, if I were to say, start at the middle of the book, and if that page, you know, say is the letter uh, H, I know that the letter M is after H, so I can just start by looking at the second half of the book instead of the beginning. So I only take the second half of the book, then I take the middle of that second half of the book, see what that letter is, say that letter is P. Then I know that the second half of that half doesn't contain the letter M, so I throw that part out. But in this way, I've cut the problem in half every time, and therefore I reach the letter M much faster. And in this case, the time complexity is logarithmic, which is better than linear. So you sort of have this sort of rough characterization of how problems scale, how, how the time it takes to solve problem scales. So usually that's how you sort of begin to compare classical and quantum uh, speeds. So if a certain problem solved by a classical computer takes say, a certain amount of time, has a certain time complexity, how does the quantum, how does the best quantum algorithm solve the same problem? Is, is the time complexity of that problem at least better than that, at least as efficient or better than that than the classical analog? So you sort of, this is sort of the beginning of where you want to look. And as you mentioned before, it's sort of, time is not the only consideration because if you can solve it, say, in sort of a smaller amount of time, but the amount of energy it takes is a lot higher or the amount of memory it takes is a lot higher than you sort of, it's sort of useless. So right. you sort of also have to keep these other factors in mind, but the time complexity is sort of the most important measure. Yeah. Can you buy a quantum computer from like your typical, like, I don't know, like electronic store or like, where would you even go to get that? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. Uh, so unlike a personal computer or laptop where sort of everyone can own one because it's so portable, a quantum computer, is usually sort of the size of at least a big fridge, if not bigger. And that's because a quantum bit needs to be kept extremely uh, robust against noise from its surroundings. So it has to be sort of shielded and it has to be kept really cold or a lot of, a lot of the certain realizations of quantum computers have to be kept really cold. And as a result, a quantum computer is not something that's at least right now, not portable at all. So Usually where they're stored are sort of the uh, labs of big companies or universities. And uh, if you want to use a quantum computer, some companies or universities offer sort of programs where you could sign up online and connect to that com computer uh, via the cloud. But you can't just sort of go to a store and get a quantum computer, mainly because the technology is really hard to make at, at least at this point to make it portable. It's, it's impossible to make it portable. And, and also, sorry to make this very long, but um, a quantum computer is not 
the same type of machine as a classical computer in the sense that it is not expected to solve everything that a classical computer does. For example, there are certain problems that a classical computer just already does very well. For example, if I want to make some PowerPoint slides or if I want to just chat with my friends, there's no need for me to use a quantum computer. So a classical computer like our laptops will always exist. A quantum computer will never completely replace classical machines. It will only replace classical machines for certain purposes. So at least what is the most the most likely scenario in the future is that one even when quantum computers become very good at what they're doing, if at all, people will sort of log in to a quantum computer whenever they need. For example, when a business needs to solve a certain uh, problem with their logistics or trying to solve like a uh, you know, a big drug candidate problem. They don't, they probably won't have, you know, a computer for every person, but they might have a quantum computer installed at their company, or they might seek the help of a, a partner company who has a quantum computer and they can use theirs and sort of, it's sort of like logging into a cluster. Uh, but yeah, it, it will never sort of, at least for the near future, I don't see everyone having, you know, their own machine and it would be unnecessary. Gotcha. Thanks for breaking that down. That was super helpful. Are you able to elaborate a bit further? Can you give me a three-sentence breakdown? I don't know if this is possible, but can you give me a three-sentence breakdown as to what a quantum bit is? Because I have no idea. Yeah, sure. So a quantum bit is very simple. It's any two-level quantum system. And for, for example, an electron, which might be spin up or spin down, is a quantum bit because it has two states that it could be in up and down and you can you can form superpositions with those ups and downs so you can sort of have states of an electron where uh it's some coefficient times up plus some other coefficient times state down so we're sort of in this mixture right so a quantum bit is an exact analogy to a classical bit such as a coin which is either heads or tails a a binary digit, which is where the name bit comes from, which is either zero or one. It's just that in the case of a quantum bit, instead of just being in these two states, you can be sort of in an intermediate state, a mixture of both the zeros and ones. So that's a quantum, yeah, a quantum bit is just any two level system. So quantum, in, any two level quantum system. In that case, you mentioned that a quantum, a quantum computer has a quantum bit like housed in the very center of it or some, or like protected yeah. within layers right how yeah. does one like get how does one get a quantum bit like secure enough in that state and housed to 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 use for quantum computing because like that i just can't fathom i just can't fathom like how that's how one would would do that you know yeah for sure that's that's honestly a very yeah that that was a question that i've i would i wondered when i first encounter the subject and uh the the short answer is that it's a very hard technical challenge sure so there there are different candidates for how you might build a quantum computer so one candidate and one of the most popular candidates these days is called the superconducting qubit or a superconducting quantum bit and the idea is to make a qubit by sort of making uh, an electrical circuit. And the states of this circuit 
will tell you whether the uh, the modes of this circuit will tell you whether or not your system is in state zero or state one. And for, forget the technical details, but in order for this this quantum bit to work, you have to keep this at very very low temperatures. So you sort of don't want any thermal fluctuations, otherwise, which essentially is environmental noise. So as a result, you sort of have to have a dilution bridge, which is a relatively available commercial product, which is okay. it's, it's essentially a multi-layered fridge that sort of the first layer, you know, cools it down to sort of pretty low temperatures. And then the next stage cools it down to sort of very, very low temperatures. And then it sort of progressively gets colder. And then at the bottom of this dilution fridge, you have a qubit or multiple qubits sitting there. So that architecture sort of is how one might say, realize a quantum bit. So there are also other candidates for making quantum computers. So for example, a uh, trapped ion, which is also another popular platform, which is an alternative to superconducting qubits, is also something that people are exploring. But no one is sure which candidate is certain to win out because it's sort of it's still in the early stages and no one knows which candidate is the is the best. So people think people think that this candidate might might win out in the end because it has certain advantages, but it also has drawbacks that other candidates sort of do better in. So Whereas in classical computing, like in our laptops, everyone sort of agrees what the architecture is. The, the way you build a classical computer is using transistors. You sort of just use electrical signals. Right. So right now, people are still very much exploring how do you even build a quantum computer? And no matter what candidate people have come up with these days, the answer is almost always the same. You need to be really protective of your quantum bit. And as a result, you sort of have to shield it from the environment either you know by cooling it or using really smart tricks like you know instead of using a, a, a quantum bit you use other real instead of using superconductors you use other platforms and so on so yeah that's the idea the, the idea is sort of uh, you want to isolate it from the environment and to do that you sort of can come up with different ways to tackle that and people are still not sure which is the best way gotcha dude like being able to have a multi-layered like thermoregulated environment at very cool temperatures that shit cannot be cheap yeah <laughs> that cannot yeah. be cheap to maintain no, yeah. right <laughs> yeah that shit is usually around you know i'm i'm guessing it's probably you know at least a few hundred k if not millions for just to get a single you know a big enough dilution fridge and that's you know sort of a lot of where the cost comes in because if you just have one dilution fridge for one qubit, then if you have multiple qubits, which is, you know, you need at least, you know, thousands, if not millions of qubits to do any sort of non-trivial calculation that might be better than classical computers. Okay. You would need a really a huge fridge <laughs> right, or you right. need some smarter way of doing this. So that's also a problem that people are trying to trying to figure out these days. It's sort of how do you scale quantum bits to a level where we can actually use quantum computers. Right now, you have sort of a lot of companies have you know a few qubits or a few dozen qubits in sort of these really big fridges. But how do you take this to the next level? No one really knows as of now. Yeah. That's insane, man. I can imagine just like to build off of what you just said and to to emphasize something I think you stated a little bit earlier as well, just like the sheer size and cost of a quantum computer 
present day compared to like your simple, you know, simple like personal computers. I can imagine like, I wonder at the same cost and at the same size, like what the computing differences are between the two systems. Obviously that's still Mm -hmm. being worked out current state, but I can imagine like you could probably have a fuck ton of like personal laptops and computers, like working on the same problem. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, exactly. So that's also another thing. Like when, when will quantum computers actually become cost efficient enough such that, you know, the equivalent amount in regular computers won't, won't solve the same problem in the same amount of time. So yeah, exactly. That's that's definitely so. Right now, it's still really, really early for to say anything about quantum computers. Yeah. yeah, dude, that's so cool that you. That's so cool that like number one, you have an interest in physics, and number two, that like that's something that you spent some time to really think about. Is this like an opportunity, like long term wise in your career that you want to pursue? And like that is the case. Like I'm happy for you, bro. That's that's awesome. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, it's definitely like sort of, you know, it's not really, I, I definitely have to give credit to like, you know, the the events in my life and the people that I encounter more so, you know, than say, I did this, I did that. I definitely think it's sort of learning from people, like talking to pe- people who like know the subject better than I do and sort of just, just taking it one step at a time. And, you know, I think it's just, for me, it's just sort of exciting that it's sort of uncertain uh, you know, there is a potential there and, you know, to make an impact. And I'm sure like, yeah, it's like the work that you do, right. It's also sort of, you're also thinking like how, you know, how could this, you know, sort of benefit more people and sort of change people's lives on like a fundamentally good way. So I think, yeah, it's, I feel, I feel like it's that sort of, you know, potential that, you know, gets you, gets you, you know, excited. And uh, well, I think in your case, you're, 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 you're more directly changing people's lives already. Whereas, you know, for me, it's like in the future, perhaps it might, but I think that's, you know, something it's just an, you know, it's a question that sort of uh, is enough to get me motivated to, to, you know, to, to continue going. Yeah. For sure, man. Like definitely number one, like the potential of having a positive impact on others. And number two, just like being one of the first pioneers and like something that's completely unknown or <laughs> like not completely understood. I feel like that's super fucking exciting. So that's awesome that like that's something that you're currently pursuing and yeah man like i'm excited to hear the good news um about potential grad school options right yeah for sure i'll definitely need to keep you updated and yeah if not ask for some advice yeah (laughs) (laughs) for sure bro um i know we're running short on time here but wanted to ask you three quick rapid fire questions if that's cool with you yeah of course definitely yeah what is have you been keeping it with Premier league at all i have i have yeah. <laughs> who is your team now, bro? Much. Who is your team? <laughs> I think you're gonna lose some fans after I say this team, but <laughs> <laughs> Manchester United. Uh I uh I think they're something about the team just you know they sort of had this enduring legacy, no matter how shit they are. But uh, you know, this year they've had they started out really poorly, but they seem to be um, uh, you know, picking themselves back up together. So I'm excited to see what they do, and you know they have some pretty exciting young talents. But I don't, I definitely don't think they're gonna they're gonna win the league. But uh, you know, I want to see them back in the Champions League next year. Um, but you know, an, another thing I really I'm excited to see is, is uh, Holland and uh, you know his his uh, once in a lifetime sort of 
showcase of, you know, how brilliant a player can be. You know, I he's just been on fire scoring basically every game for Man City. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, I've been following the Premier League every every week. And yeah, <laughs> let's go, have, have man. Been, have you been following? Yeah, well, I I recently started following the last two months. I've I've been watching like okay, uh, nice, the, yeah. the Sunday highlights. You know, like I don't have time yeah, to yeah. watch the the, the, the yeah, whole right. matches, but dude, yeah. Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne and Holland, the, right, that's, right, that's crazy, bro. That's crazy. Yeah. It's it's honestly unreal. Yeah, it's crazy I how two, two two individual players can literally like destroy a single team. Like that that's just unfathomable to me. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty like surreal to see like how the connection between them is. Before De Bruyne just sort of needed that striker to finish off the balls that he was he was passing into the into the box, and now that you have Holland, it's sort of complete. Both sides of the equation is is complete. Yeah, yeah. I also think like you enjoying Manchester United, like that is, and you like rooting for them. I don't think that's like, I don't think that's that's like a. I don't think it's a negative thing. I I, I, definitely, <laughs> I definitely think it's questionable how they will perform against you know other teams in the Premier League. But for sure, yeah. that's dope, man. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, you'll be able to see a game with Ronaldo before he maybe retires or something like that. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely hope he like sort of gets back into better form and scores a few more goals than than the start of the season. Yeah. All right. Switching, switching gears from soccer. Um, speaking of hobbies, have you been playing soccer recently or like at all since like the school year started and like any new hobbies, man? Get me up to speed. So, yeah, I, I actually haven't I haven't played soccer since school started. But over the summer, uh, I played soccer a fair bit. Actually, uh, there was another intern in my cohort who was also he was better in soccer than I was. But he he sort of once considered uh playing college soccer uh but he didn't end up doing it but we played a lot of pickup soccer um when we're at princeton and at ibm so when we're at princeton there were sort of grad students who had you know they had pickup soccer every thursdays and sundays and we'd always go to that so you know that was a lot of fun and the professor my pi also went to that on on some sundays so no way. it was it was pretty fun to see him there too and you know he had some moves so <laughs> Uh, yo, yo, if, it, if you if you nutmeg your PI, would he give you the day off? <laughs> Dude, I I feel like if I nutmeg him, then he probably he probably make me work for the next week, bro. Like I, I <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, yeah, that's not happened. But yeah, we 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 play on the same team more often than not. And when he was on a different team, he was still you know he was still pretty good, and you know. I definitely would not be able to nutmeg him. He, he's a he's a good player, and <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then when we're at IBM, there was like this pickup league that uh, was organized by some of the uh, more seasoned people there, and that was also a lot of fun. Unfortunately, there was a crucial moment where I had to step up and take a penalty, but that penalty was uh, one of the one of the. <laughs> The lesser penalties that that you'll see anybody take, <laughs> it was not on target. Let's just say, <laughs> let's yeah. just say that. <laughs> I was I was gonna ask, did it at least have a chance of going in goal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the expected goals of that were uh, were not very high. <laughs> did you at least try to go for a chip? No, you see, I didn't have the swagger. But you know, if you were there, if you were there, I might have the confidence. But. <laughs> 
If but, I were there, you you would have went with a a Robana. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah, I think your audience should know that. Uh, yeah, this this man Max was a uh, was a was a tank for IM Soccer for Murray IM Soccer back in the day, the pre-pandemic days. This man was the the the, the muscle behind the team. I remember there was one time I forget which college we played, but you know he 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 was just on fire. He just dribbled multiple people and then shot gave an absolute banger and you know that that's just pretty i think that's just pretty representative of the type of player that he is <laughs> yeah. yo if anyone yeah. if any foreign clubs are still recruiting a washed 24 year old <laughs> let me know <laughs> that's hilarious man hey i appreciate i appreciate the i appreciate the support and you know just like mentioning that on the, on the pod man yo you're a real one for that <laughs> <laughs> nah bro. just speaking the truth Last question I have for you before we wrap things up. Um, for anyone who's stuck around this long and who has been graced by your by your knowledge and wisdom of quantum physics and quantum computing, I guess like, do you have any inspirational advice or any lessons learned? Just like one piece of advice, any final remarks? The floor is yours, bro. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks everyone who's still sticking around. Really sorry to bore you with all my physics antics, but yeah, uh, I really, you know, I really don't have any profound advice, but I would say uh, sort of really take the time to sort of at least think about what you want to do in the future, um, no matter how old or how young you are. And sort of, I think it's really, it's a really great investment on your part because uh it's never a waste of time because even if you don't come to an answer, it will at least get sort of, it will at least eliminate some options for you. You'll, you'll know what you don't like to do or what sort of things that you should be doing in order to move closer to your goal. So at least sort of take the time to sit down and think for a little bit, you know, whenever you can about sort of what you want to do in the future, because at least for me, that sort of really made me orient like the rest of the things I do in my life in a lot sort of clearer sense. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my, uh, yeah, lame advice, but <laughs> yeah. Dude, not lame whatsoever. Completely, completely like applicable advice to everyone who's listening, regardless of where they are in their life or what they're pursuing in their career. Dude, thank you so much for not only taking me back to school, but also giving me the shout out in soccer, bro. Really appreciate having you on here, bro. <laughs> no, of, of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm really grateful to be here and it's always a always a pleasure to talk to you and hope we can run some FIFA back soon. <laughs>